Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for coming and joining us for uh, the second part of our Debating the Kingdom series. So yesterday we looked at uh, Tom Wright and his book, When God Became King, and we had some interesting debates come out about that. Uh, today we're turning and we're looking at Scott McKnight's book, Kingdom Conspiracy, and I think it's going to get us going and getting us uh, really interested in some of the issues and thoughts that come out of there. So we're being led again, once again, by our three tremendously gifted guides. We have Mick Taylor, of course, in the corner. We've got Adrian Burks and Will Losher just down at the front here as well. So please join me again in giving them a big round of applause. So just like yesterday, the structure of the seminar is going to be roughly this. Uh, in a moment, Adrian's going to kick us off with a brief synopsis of the book and highlight some of the helpful and the unhelpful parts. Then Will will join the discussion along with Mick, and together they'll explore the book further and highlight some of the issues that they found. And lastly, we're going to open the floor to a Q&A for you guys to share with us some of the questions, thoughts, or comments that you have on some of the things that you've heard. So without wasting any time, let's hand straight over to Adrian, who will take us through the synopsis. Thanks so much. Marvellous. Thanks, Luke. Okay. So as Luke says, we're going to be looking at this book, uh, Kingdom Conspiracy. Can I say, has anyone read this book? Okay. I'm just checking our, our panel have read it. <laughs> that would be a good start. Anyone else read it? Okay. Has anyone heard of Scott McKnight? Okay, not many have heard of Scott McKnight. Okay, that's quite surprising. Um, okay, when I was at uh, college, uh, one of the tutors, right at the beginning, he said to me that, uh, my aim is to help you develop a critical mind without a critical spirit. And, and I found that really helpful, that it is good to weigh things and it's good to test things and question things. And that's really what we want to do uh, th this afternoon. The Bible itself says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything and hold on to what is good. And some people can feel uh, that, I, was, I feel guilty testing, I feel guilty asking questions, you should just accept things. Uh, actually, no, God expects us to think about things and, uh, uh, and not just absorb everything we hear because it calls itself Christian. Uh, so, as I say, we're going to be, the, the structure is, we, we're going to, I'm just going to briefly go over the book, then uh, we'll, uh, the three of us, talk through uh, some of the things we enjoyed about the book, uh, that might be quite brief from some of the discussions that I've just had. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, so, okay. So, who is Scott McKnight? Uh, Scott McKnight is one of the leading New Testament scholars uh, in the world today. He's professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary in Lombard, Illinois. Uh, he has done lots of TV programs and radio programs. He speaks at lots of conferences and churches. Uh, he is a very bright guy, uh, as with many of these writers with various degrees and PhDs uh, after their names. He um, has written lots of books, over 60 books, and uh, clearly a smart guy and a prolific author. As I say, this afternoon we're focusing on his book, uh, Kingdom Conspiracy. And the, basically what he's trying to do in the book is connect our view of kingdom with church. And he's saying you can't have kingdom without the church. That's the basic uh, premise of the book. And his uh, approach through the book, really, his aim through the book, is to challenge what he sees as two extremes. On the one hand, a very narrow view of the kingdom of God. That's, that's one view he's wanting to challenge. And that very narrow view... Uh, spiritualizes the kingdom and really makes it about me. It's all about me. How does the kingdom affect me? And does my life display the kingdom of God? How does God use me in his kingdom? And it's all about me and very narrow. And that view uh, about personal salvation and uh, uh, the qualities of the kingdom in me, that view is held by many traditional evangelicals. That would be a very typical traditional approach to the kingdom uh, of God. And McKnight uh, labels that traditional view uh, pleated pants, which for us uh, in England translates as trousers with a crease, um, or slacks, as my parents would call them. Um, but uh, uh, for these people, the traditional view then is... Uh, it's a very narrow view of the kingdom. It's about me. It's about salvation. It's about the attributes of the kingdom in my life. We'll come back to that in a minute. So that's uh, pleated pants. Then the opposite of pleated pants 
is skinny jeans, uh, where the kingdom of God is, uh, and this is a very modern kind of way of thinking about the kingdom, a very broad concept. Uh, it's good deeds done by, this is his definition, uh, good deeds done by good people, Christian or not, in the public sector for the common good. Good deeds done by good people in the pub public sector for the common good. And the focus of many of the modern teachings about the kingdom of God are about influencing culture and changing culture, social justice, community action, wherever there is anything that is beautiful or joyful or peaceful or creative, wherever there are any of those things, then that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come because there is something beautiful or creative and so on. And as I say, that is a very modern view of the kingdom of God. Uh, you might even say a trendy uh, view of the kingdom, hence the label uh, skinny jeans. And you can decide for yourselves by our trousers which category Mick uh, and Will and I fall into. I'm not sure any of us have got skinny jeans, have we? Anyway, all pleated pants. So what, Mick, uh, what Scott McKnight is trying to do is really show that both of those view, a very narrow view of the kingdom, and then also a very broad view of the kingdom, he's saying both of those views are actually erroneous. You can't shrink the kingdom of God down to my personal salvation, but you can't expand it to include absolutely everything, everything good, everywhere, done by anybody. He's saying that clearly isn't a biblical view either. And then what he goes on to do is propose a view of the kingdom where there is a lot of overlap between the kingdom of God and the church and kingdom mission and church mission and that you can't have one uh, without the other and the kingdom only advances when the church is making Jesus known and not simply where good is present or beauty is present. So that's what he's trying to do in the book um, and uh, so what I'm going to do is just briefly explain some things that I found uh, helpful, then some things that I found a little bit less helpful, um, and then just a couple of reflections. <coughs> so firstly, I think his challenge uh, uh, to these two extremes of the kingdom of God I found quite helpful. So it's helpful to challenge traditional views about the kingdom of God that I think, yeah, it has been too narrow, uh, and I think it's helpful also to challenge these big views that everything includes the kingdom. Now, obviously, we don't form our theology uh, by simply following Aristotle's mean. We take two extremes and plump for the middle. That's not how you do theology. Uh, but clearly, a cursory reading of the New Testament would show that the kingdom is bigger than me and my salvation, but at the same time, it shouldn't include everything everywhere. McKnight uh, begins by rightly pointing out that the skinny jeans view of the kingdom uh, is false when it reduces it down simply to social justice and transforming culture. He says that's unbiblical and he writes uh, straightforwardly, this gauzy definition, so reducing kingdom down, sorry, expanding kingdom to include, include uh, everything, social justice and culture and everything. He says this gauzy definition of one of the Bible's strongest words is not what kingdom ever means in the Bible. The Bible never calls working for the common good kingdom work. So he says uh, to, to make kingdom mission then primarily about political activism or social justice or transforming culture is to ignore the evangelistic and the church-centered focus of the kingdom in the New Testament and to introduce a completely different meaning so I found it helpful when he challenges this big view of the kingdom, that it includes everything everywhere. But at the same time, I think to challenge this very narrow view uh, is also very helpful. Now, obviously, evangelicals have rightly emphasized the need for personal salvation, uh, personal response of faith, and so on. But if we focus purely on ourselves and not on our place uh, within our situations, our towns, our villages, our nations, and so on, then, then actually uh, you, we, we go astray because clearly the Bible is more than just me. And uh, so I found that challenge very helpful. Uh, it's not uh, including everything. It's not completely narrow. It's somewhere in the middle. That's helpful. I'm not sure many of us would disagree with that. You read it and you think, yep. Yeah, that's where I am too, uh, but I think that's helpful. Secondly, 
I think his positive view of the church as central to God's purposes, uh, I think that is also very helpful. And uh, so having said that it isn't this narrow thing and it isn't this broad thing, he then goes on to say what it is, what is the kingdom, and he labors the point. Mick will probably talk about that a little bit later, how much he labors the point. Uh, But he labors the point that throughout the Bible, kingdom refers to a people governed by a king. And I found that quite a helpful definition of kingdom. Rather than thinking about it in terms of abstract values or attributes of joy here or peace here, but actually to think of it as it's connected in to people. And so people, what is peace if it's somehow distinct from people? What is joy if it's somehow distinct from people? Uh, Actually, all those attributes and things are related to people. And so I think uh, actually his, his positive view of the church is really helpful. There is no kingdom uh, uh, without the kingdom people, he says, the kingdom community, the, ch- uh, the church. He's not saying kingdom and church are the same thing, and he's not saying those words are identical in meaning. He's just saying that you can't have one without the other, and we've been hearing that already over the last uh, couple of days. He says this, the church then is what is present and peopled in the realization of the kingdom now. There is no kingdom now outside the church. And all true kingdom mission is church mission. And that is, I think, a very helpful uh, corrective to some who seem to pitch the kingdom against the church. And you read some books, and they're, they're rah, 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 kingdom, and then they think, oh, yeah, the church is a bit shoddy, isn't it? And I just think that is not how the Bible presents the church. The Bible presents the church as a glorious and wonderful thing. And uh, it's through the church God uh, displays his manifold wisdom uh, to the world. It is uh, Christ's body that fills all things. And so so, so this, I would say, particularly liberation theology uh, would would rah-rah-rah the kingdom. And, yeah, the church is a bit of a a poor thing. Uh, I think that's unhelpful. One of the things then that McKnight ends the book with, uh, which I have used myself this test question, he says this, and I think it's really helpful, because I think this is a test question that gets to the heart of what you think about the kingdom of God. And the question is this, did Gandhi do kingdom work? That's a good question to ask yourself and for you to think through, and that's how he ends the book. Liberation theology would say yes because Gandhi was doing uh, peacemaking, and therefore uh, he was doing kingdom work. Skinny jeans people uh, would say, well, kind of, but not really, and perhaps they're not very clear. And then uh, McKnight would say, no, only kingdom people do kingdom work, and there is no kingdom work outside kingdom people. And uh, so I think this positive view of the church is a very helpful to a drift in thinking where kingdom becomes a bit amorphous. Uh, I think his view on that is very helpful. And then the third thing I found stimulating, uh, at least, was his comments on engaging in politics and on transforming culture. And so I think he's very provocative on this. He says, this word culture seems to be replacing the Bible's word world. Just sprinkle some baptismal water on world and we call it culture. But Jesus didn't come to make the world a better place or to influence or transform the world. He came to redeem people out of the world. Trying to make the world a better place is a species of worldliness and worldliness is a hard habit to break. Ouch. Now, I don't think I agree completely. I suspect that reflects something of his eschatology, which is very different to Tom Wright's eschatology, which we heard yesterday. Um, but uh, I think his view of en- how we engage with culture, and if we call culture world, does that give us a more biblical way of thinking about it? But because we call it culture, uh, then suddenly you can treat it, treat it in a different way. Um, now he goes on to say that being part, being a citizen, uh, is is being a good citizen is to be an influence for good, but that doesn't necessarily make that work kingdom work. And um, and uh, how we use the label, I'll talk about it in, in just a moment. Uh, the Bible obviously speaks a lot about world and very little about culture. Uh, I mean, it talks about culture, but it doesn't use that word. 
and, uh, and I think his challenge about that, uh, as I say, is very helpful. I think many, many people spend an awful lot of effort trying to transform culture, and I think, mm, have you disconnected that from transforming people? And I think Scott McKnight is saying that you, this whole connection with church, with people, kingdom is people ruled by a king. I think for me that's very helpful, and uh, that was a helpful uh, challenge. So there's a couple of things, three things that I found helpful. What I found less helpful, firstly, there was a lot of padding in the book. So it is quite repetitious, and, uh, and I found because he labors the point, um, I lost the thread a number of times of where are we actually going? I, I'm not quite sure about this. Now, he's an academic and a scholar, and, uh, and perhaps um, that's why, and he's writing for that kind of audience, perhaps. Um, but uh, I do feel sometimes you can be a scholar, you can be so wordy that, that you lose track of, and people lose track of what you're actually trying to say. In fact, I was just said to Mick, I think many books today in the Christian world uh, should be pamphlets and not books, uh, because you can make your point much more succinctly and people would get it. And then you could have a second pamphlet that gives all the arguments behind what you're saying, um, but if for people who want to read it. So I found there's a lot of padding, and uh, as I say, I found I, I got lost. Uh, that might just be me, but I don't think it is. A lot of padding. Secondly, the other th another thing I found unhelpful is what he tries to do in the book is reframe the kingdom story. So if I was to say, what's the Bible story all about? A typical approach would be, we talk about creation, then fall, then redemption, then consummation. That's a very typical way of, of explaining what's the Bible story all about? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And he tries to reframe it then in a very different way where God is king, Adam rejects his kingship, and then uh, go through this process of Israel being uh, a king established and 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 I found that I quite muddled and I'm not sure it took us anywhere um, because actually I think you can explain creation in terms of God's kingship you can explain fall in terms of a rejection of God's kingship con uh, redemption as the restoration of God's kingship which will be fully restored at the consummation so for me I thought I'm I'm not sure what you've added by doing that, and, um, and I felt that was, for me anyway, a little bit uh, unclear and didn't add anything. The third thing, and perhaps this is the biggest thing, and we can talk about this certainly, that I did not find helpful, is he completely separates out social action from mission. And he says social action uh, and good works are not kingdom mission. So he says, this is a quote, Kingdom mission is church mission and is not merely working for the common good. I'm 100% in favor of Christian engagement in social activism. What I'm not in favor of is assigning the word kingdom to such actions, assigning the word kingdom to such actions in order to render that action sacred or to justify that action as supernatural or to give you the sense that what you are doing is ultimately significant. He later clarifies, anyone who calls what they're doing kingdom work but does not present Jesus to other people or some summon them to surrender themselves to the king, uh, to King Jesus as Lord and Savior, is not doing kingdom mission or kingdom work. They're probably doing good work they, and doing social justice, but if Jesus isn't made known, they're not doing kingdom mission. Now, I, I agree with that. The second part, I think the to simply say all social, social action is good work but is not a part of kingdom mission. I'm not sure I agree with that. However, I think I wouldn't separate out social action from evangelism. I think social action, for me, becomes kingdom mission when it's connected to evangelism. And if you only do kingdom mission and separate it from evangelism, then I'm not sure that's kingdom mission. Um, but I think he goes too far and says all good deeds are just good deeds and have no ultimate value. I'm not sure if I would go that far with him. So his, social, his issues or questions about social action, I think, would be worth us discussing. Okay. Two closing reflections. And it's not just reflections on the book, um, but general reflections. The first thing is, 
being biblical means using biblical language in a biblical way. That's my first point. Being biblical means using biblical or Bible language in a biblical way. Before Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States, he was a lawyer. And he was once in court, and he was arguing with this other lawyer. And he said, how many legs does a cow have? And the guy said, it has four. And Abraham Lincoln said, ah, but if you call the tail a leg, how many legs does it have then? And he said, well, it has five. And Abraham Lincoln says, no, just because you call the tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. And uh, I think that is what often happens with some Bible words. That what happens is you, you add it on to another concept, but actually what you're doing, you're not using it in the way the Bible uses it. You're using it in the way that you have chosen to use it. And Christians do this in a kind of fashionable way. So five years ago, the word was missional or mission. And as long as you tagged the word mission on, then you could do anything you wanted to do. Because you've, it's missional. Yeah, but it's, is it missional? And is it biblical? Is it right? Is it, oh, but it's missional. It's like a trump card. And I think kingdom has become like that. So if you look at the books, there are so many. It's, it is clearly fashionable to talk about the kingdom of God because there are all the books at the moment coming out. Many of them are about the kingdom. But actually, some of the stuff you read, you think that's not, that's not, that's not you, haven't, you haven't made it kingdom. You've just added your own label on and invented what you want kingdom to mean and called it kingdom. And that is not being biblical. Being biblical is using, yes, you can use Bible words, but it's only biblical if you use them in a biblical way. Just to use a Bible word doesn't make it biblical. That's my first rant. That's my first rant. Okay. This is, the second one is not a rant at all. Uh, the second thing is, and this is hinted at in the book, but I'd like to talk about this. Um, this is about the presence of the king. The presence of the king. Now, in the book, what he, he quotes Karl Barth, and Karl Barth says, um, when Jesus declared the kingdom of God is at hand... He is referring to his own presence in front of them. So what he's saying is, <coughs> the kingdom is present because the king is present. And I think that's a very helpful and interesting way of looking at it. Uh, rather than focusing on the kingdom itself, we focus on the king. So, some people seem to claim today that wherever the attributes of the kingdom are, the conclusion is, the king is therefore present. So, wherever there is love or joy or peace or patience, the kingdom is present, therefore, the, because the king is present. Now, I think that is, for me, a, a reverse logic, uh, a, a cart before the horse. In logical terms, a reverse causality. Uh, so, what they're assuming is, wherever the attributes are present, the king is present. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose for a moment... I take my mobile phone everywhere with me. It would be true to say, wherever Adrian goes, there is a mobile phone. Okay, that would be true. But it would not be true to say, wherever there is a mobile phone, Adrian is present. Okay? Now, I think it's a similar thing with some of the attributes of the kingdom of God. There can be qualities of love and joy and peace because of common grace but you can't conclude, therefore, the kingdom is present unless the king is present, unless there's some sense of connection to the king. And that goes back to what I said earlier about the test question that Scott McKnight ends with, was Gandhi doing uh, kingdom work? Because there's no connection with the king. There's just the attributes. And I feel, actually, we can assume when God is present, these attributes will be, will be present, I'm not sure we can assume just because these attributes are present, the king is present. And yet, people do do that. So, they're my two reflections. Use biblical words in a biblical way. Don't just attach kingdom to everything and think you've somehow made it kingdom. You've just invented your own meaning for the word. And uh, the presence of the king. Okay. Should we talk about this book? Yeah. Okay. Let's move this then. <laughs> so yesterday, we were talking about 
Tom Wright's book, and I felt I was bad cop yesterday, so I am determined to be good cop today. In fact, I should give Mick my copy of the book so that he can, he can throw it. Yes, I will throw it at a particular point. So, and I'm Piggy in the middle. You are. So I've said some of the things that I found helpful, the church-centred focus, a people-centred focus of the book. Did you, were there things that you found helpful? Were there things you found, where do you want to start, unhelpful uh, or helpful? Let's let, let Will go first. Oh, okay. I found the book um, incredibly helpful because um, I like books that try and land somewhere and then press us into <coughs> working out how that looks in a local situation. So I found it much more helpful than yesterday's book because we're just landing somewhere. Whether we agree with where we're landing, that, but we can discuss where we're landing, can't we? I, I found it annoying, partly because of what you said. He, in my notes, uh, on my Kindle version, I was writing notes, it was like, enough already, I get the point, I get the thesis, stop going on. And that he was banging a drum for his view. And the skinny jeans thing, I would agree with him, that is, yeah, I'm with you, him on that. I think that... <laughs> Because uh, Adrian and I have chatted about this b before this, he says, is there anything good in the book? And I thought, well, that's quite a challenging uh, question <laughs> because on a couple of points I reacted very strongly. Let me first tell you why I reacted. One reason I reacted really strongly, I, my favourite Bible scholar is Don Carson. May his name be blessed. Um, <laughs> fantastic New Testament scholar. And there's a sentence in here which says, he quotes Don Carson in an article and says... Um, um, Carson is uh, mistaken. I thought, yeah, even I agree that sometimes, occasionally, but it should be said with hushed tones that Carson is mistaken. And then says, reductionistic, if not simplistic. And at that point, if it wasn't on my I iPad, I would have thrown the book across the room because, like, you can't say that about the great Don Carson. Um, so, uh, so that's one thing. I... But I think, for me, it was like the, the, the questions he posed was, was good. So I think the Gandhi question is, is a good question when you're talking to people at that extreme. Um, I think, um, for me, posing the question of the boundary of church and kingdom is a really good question. But I'm, I'm, you seem to be able to see a distinction between them. But I... I, I it's, it's, I'm not sure where he draws the line between kingdom and church. And what does he mean? It's only kingdom work. If it's, a, it's only kingdom work if it's like church mission. But what's the definition of church? Is, you know, if, if I'm a Christian and I'm doing something, I'm, isn't it church? It might not be centrally organized by my, you know, Citygate does social action. Mm -hmm. So is that kingdom work but if I'm personally involved in being a social worker is that not kingdom work and I, d I don't know what how he w well I think he calls that good works and I find that interesting yes I, I think he I think his his probably his view of church is is what is corporate and probably not king so that he would say kingdom work is is not necessarily what the individual does yeah. which I don't think I would no. go with but I think what I found I suppose, so yeah, I think his overlap and where he doesn't explain, he just says the words are not identical, how they're not identical, he doesn't yeah. explain. As I say, for me, the, just the, the broader idea of it connecting into people, I think that's what I found helpful um, and connecting it into church because the danger is that actually we, we do. We, it, even if I could say some of the things that we've heard here, the danger is that that church is in here and kingdom is out there. Church is what we do. So if I can, I won't quote who said it. Someone said, we come back to the church to be refueled and then we go out and do kingdom things. And I think, I, I'm not sure if I'd make that that distinction because I think they, I would include what we do in church, church. as kingdom things. Yeah. So yeah. Is, it, is it more helpful if we say there is no kingdom without the king and his gospel rather than use church which is a bit of a slippery term as well and is that right so that, that I, I want to push that whole 
his discussion um, about social action and mission, which he seems to say there is no social action without the gospel. There's no, no, there's no kingdom without the gospel. So if you do social action without <coughs> the gospel, that's not kingdom. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the right? criticizer. I think if, if you were a Christian organization and you did social action and, and there was no context within that to talk about the Lord and bringing people to know him, well, that's just, that's just stupid. It's, you know, I, I don't need, I don't, you don't need an academic thing. That's, you know, this is the most fundamental thing. Um, but, but what's the trajectory? I, I, again, that dismisses, if I'm involved in social action with a non-Christian agency, and the agency's not evangelistic, but through my work I might be able to be evangelistic, does that discount it? And how, yeah, how upfront, how short-term does the evangelism, do I have to every time I do it, say Jesus is Lord and you need to you know, bend your knee or can that be part of the trajectory of what I'm doing I think, I think the diff part of the difficulty is that kingdom is a, a, a mysterious and enig enigmatic term yeah. and if you read you know, the, way the, l the way the word kingdom is used is, is a little bit slippery might be a little unfair but it, it's imprecise at least yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think the, the difficulty is it was perceived as very narrow, and I think we've said, yep, we would agree that's unhelpful. I think the danger is it becomes increasingly broad, and I think that's unhelpful. I think the difficulty is exactly specific. So what is, what is kingdom? I, I, and I think it's, for me, it is helpful connecting it in to the church in that... Is it if if an individual is is not connected into church at all and is doing kingdom stuff, is that right? I, are they? I, I don't know. Yeah. So. But yeah, I, but yeah, I, I, but, if, but yes, but the con uh, the idea of an individual Christian doing something not con and that person's not connected to church is like well that's that's wrong. That's stuff too. <laughs> I mean, it's like. <laughs> uh, I think. I mean, I think the idea though of of separating out things like social action from evangelism it is very common it is yeah. very common it's very common in our churches than the language of you know uh, doing doing social action as an end in itself and not connecting it into evangelism that idea is widespread and i think i think part of i think what he is do you not think it is widespread well i i i i think we just have to define how closely so if you do some debt a uh, christian debt work is like if you visit you always have to have a offer to pray always have to yeah. like share the gospel that's one approach other approach would be softer and longer term do you is one kingdom and one not kingdom because that's a great question. you know it's at, at that level if, if it was social action and there was never it was like as a church when we do social action we're never going to tell people about jesus you think that's tough um but but yeah but if the danger i agree i agree in terms of a philosophical approach if you said we're going to do community action and and our choice is to never do that i think i think very few churches will probably say that although they could do that very thing they end up doing and that. they would never evaluate it as fruitful because because in a sense well it, okay it's not fruitful but that's okay because it's an end in itself do you see what I mean? So I, I agree that yeah. very few people would set out with that as an objective, but they could end up going down that road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I agree, that's inadequate. The, the other question, I think the flip side of that is, is, is um, to what extent, if we are kingdom people, do we do kingdom work all the time? So this idea... Um, which comes up, doesn't it? And you're a kingdom teacher or you're a kingdom yeah. policeman. or So how, I think he would say that's, that's not the case. What you do is you do good works, but you're not a kingdom teacher in a world which is hostile to God. And so I don't know, what do you think? How, how far can you be a kingdom teacher in a world which is against God, and or, or might you so lose your job for being a kingdom teacher? Well, so you mentioned yesterday that 
so one of the critics in the book, let me step back, one of the criti critics in the book is a guy called John Stackhouse who says, everything I do, because I'm a Christian, everything I do is, is kingdom. So if I'm preaching, I'm doing the kingdom work, but if I'm mowing the lawn, I'm doing kingdom work. And so you said yesterday, if you're fulfilling the kingdom, the cultural mandate, yeah. uh, you're doing kingdom work. Is that what you'd... Yeah. So I think my... So I'm... So my... I, I think I would probably say yeah, we no. Better we better explain what we're talking about in terms of cultural Go mandate. Go on, why don't you explain it? Um, this is what God gave Adam and Eve to do. You know, be fruitful, multiply, look after the earth, make it flourishing. That was... That, that still continues. That, that, that's what... Being human is that. That's what God called humans to be. And when you become a Christian, you tap back into that. So... Um, and you're bringing God's order to the place. So if, if God is king and you're bringing his order to a place, isn't that kingdom work? Because you're doing it for the king. Yeah. I think the other part of it is, I think Christians can not be doing kingdom work or whatever just by being very bad. You know, they're very bad representatives of the king. You know, it's not good. It's like, you, just because you're a Christian, you are a Christian teacher in the sense that where you're Christian and you teach. But the way you do that might be completely the same as a secular teacher. And then that's, that's, that's an anomaly. Yeah, in a sense, that's not kingdom or it's, it's, it's an anomalous thing. That's, it's a bit like Paul saying that you carry on sinning that grace may abound. It's like, that's daft. It's like, that's daft. Uh, but it's possible. The, the, difficulty, I ha the difficulty I have with, with using the label kingdom of, of things like the, king, the, kingdom, the cultural mandate is I just don't see that, I don't see the word kingdom being used of any of those kinds of things in the New Testament. No. I'm not saying they're not good things. I'm not saying they're not Christian things. I'm not saying they're not right things. I'm just saying, why would you be happy giving, giving the label kingdom to those things when I don't see the New Testament ever giving the word kingdom, using the word kingdom of, of arts or... It just doesn't... Those things are never given the label kingdom in the New Testament. So I no, well, some of those things that are not talked about in the New Testament. Yeah, I think, but I think... Um, so I'm not saying they're not right things, and this is where Scott well, McKnight then says, well, those things are good, they're, they're doing good. Yeah, they're doing good, but, but what my concern is, partly it's functional, is like how you phrase this can end up dismissing something. So it's a, if something's not of ultimate value, well, why would you be bothered to do something that's not of ultimate value? So the arts, you know, if you can do arts, it's good, but it's not ultimate value. You can be, do social action, it's good, but it's not kingdom work. That's yes. ultimate value. Yeah. So you've got a life, you've got a short amount of time, what should you do? You should do things of ultimate value. So, you, so then you've just dismissed everything. So we really shouldn't be involved in those things because they're not of ultimate value. But I suppose that that, uh, that's only true if the only things that are of ultimate value are kingdom things. Yeah. But if there are things that are good and right and Christian, but not necessarily kingdom, de as defined by the New Testament, yeah. then that doesn't mean necessarily then they don't have ultimate value. So it might be how we use the words. Yeah, but I think part is. But, I mean, Scott McKnight says that, doesn't he? I think he says good works don't have... You know, they're good. Yeah. But that's... It feels like they're secondary. And I think one of, one of the missing factors, um, yeah, one of the missing factors perhaps is that actually to get to the end of our lives and only fulfilled a cultural mandate would not be what we've called, been called and set on the earth to do, given that we are given the Holy Spirit to go and make the good news known. So if, if all we did was a cultural mandate, which is good, but never did the mission that we've been given, I don't think that would be sufficient for us. Would no, it? no, and I think he's yeah, given us both missions. But it's, it's like, the way I chatted to Adrian about it, it's like the, the difference between the centre of a circle and the circumference of a circle. So the cultural mandate is the whole circumference. It's the whole of life. And that would, if, we, if there hadn't been a fall and there weren't sinners, then that's what we would have done. That was what it was all about. But there was a fall. We are sinners. We need to be rescued. And right now, so right in the center of what we're supposed to be doing is evangelism, bringing people to Christ, to bring a, him, people under his rule. But, the, but it brings you into this big, the whole of, whole of life. But if you 
You don't want a polo, if that makes any sense. You don't want to do the cultural mandate and not be involved in evangelism. Um, and also, trouble is when you talk about evangelism, all of us that are not evangelists think, oh, yeah, well, most of my life is a waste of time because I'm not very good at it. But it's the body that does evangelism. We're all part of that, but we're not all evangelists. Sorry. We might have gone off slightly off track. Yes. Should, we, should we see if there are any questions? Yeah, yeah they might keep us back on track. <laughs> yeah. Go on then. Yeah, Patrick, yeah. question? Yeah, so um, my point really would be, I suppose, that straight away coming in at the point of cultural mandate, I would say that we never fulfill that anyway, and that maybe perhaps Adam and Eve could, could fulfill the cultural mandate, as you, and, and as you said, you know, they didn't live in a fallen world, and so that's what that they would have been doing, that's what we would have been doing if we, if we weren't fallen. Um, but I suppose as well, there's a, there's a second point there, which is that Jesus doesn't seem to say that once you get saved, then you can fulfill this cultural mandate in the same way that perhaps Adam and Eve would have, would have been able to do it had they never sinned, but actually his work seems to be pointing towards a, a, a spiritual kingdom which is yet to come down in all of its fullness. And so we're living in the in the in-between, and there's no real way for us to actually achieve the, the cultural mandate itself. That will only ever come about once the kingdom has come down in its, in its fullness. So I'm not sure how we could say then that doing social work would be helping to achieve the cultural mandate. Does that, does, does that make sense? Is that a good question to ask at this point? <laughs> I think that's a good question. Sounds a really good question and I Will's going to answer no, it. <laughs> no, I think the fact we are in a fallen world and the and I think McKnight's point about world and culture needs really taken on board seriously because we're in the world to redeem, to, ha to be involved in the work of redemption and, and through that will come the work of transformation. But we can't switch that around the other way. So we can't just say we're just going to transform and hopefully along the way bring some redemption in. That, that's how I would... No, and I think that's a really... Uh, what, when we talked about good points from the book, I think... Baptizing the world and making and talking about culture is really helpful, and it goes, slides into something we talked about. I mentioned yesterday is that in the attempt to be meaningful to our society, how, are we in danger of diluting or even distorting the gospel? And um, I do, be, you know, I wholeheartedly believe in a holistic mission, and we should seek to influence our societies and bring good to them. But um, Ultimately, this word is going to be judged. It's under the judgment of God. So we, you know the passage in Jeremiah where it talks about, you know, seek the, the welfare of the city. Well, that's in the context where judgment is going to come on Babylon. But in this moment, you seek the welfare of the city and you do good. But it's not because that, um, in a sense, redeems that culture. That culture is going to be judged and there's a whole load of things wrong with it. But you do that. And I think especially skinny jeans, are really going into that's the agenda. We're going to transform this culture into the kingdom of God, and you, that's n not what's going to happen. Christ needs to come back for that to I mean happen. I, I don't know where, where Tom Wright or Scott McKnight stand in terms of eschatology, but, but I think these are this, both books are a good example of what you believe about the future and the end times massively impacts what you do today. Because I, Tom Wright, so I don't know if Tom Wright is, is, um, is post-millennial or amillennial, but at the very least, he has a very positive view of, of the church will grow and flourish and influence the world in a positive way. And I know Scott McKnight historically was um, brought up in a pre-millennial dispensational context. He may have changed that. He may have lost the dispensational part, but at the very least, his view of of the world and culture and so on is we're being saved out of this. And so I'm not saying I, I, I'm not with Scott McKnight and I'm not with Tom Wright either, but I would say I'm amillennial. But I think the, the, the thing is, what it does show is your view of the future. If you believe that everything's going to get better and better and Christians can almost, perhaps not quite reconstructionist, but if you're going to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth and it's all going to be rah, 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 then you're like Tom, 
Tom Wright. And if actually you think God's redeemed us out of the world, and and so why are we spending so much time? Then I, then you'll like Scott McKnight. So that's why eschatology is important. I'm not sure you've answered question. No. Hi. So in the film Juno, there's that moment where she's walking into the uh, the abortion centre, and outside she is accosted by a Christian who who tells her that the baby inside her has fingernails. And as she's sitting there in the abortion clinic, that, that idea <coughs> comes back again and again. And the idea that the baby has fingernails causes her to not abort the child. What was the point of that moment for, for the Christian? What was, what was being achieved in that moment, if not kingdom? So are you saying that, so what would be the problem if it was simply a good work? Yeah, well, what is it? I mean, um, I mean, good work is, I mean, again, a very broad term. What, what content do we bring to that? What, what value does God see in that? And particularly when, it, I guess it's an extreme example, but it's an illustration of, well, what then is the point of doing these things? Um, is, is the gospel integral to make anything worthwhile, I guess? I mean, I, I think an example like that, I think it's very clear that the outcome is, a, is, a, is hopefully a good outcome and a, a, an eternal outcome. And a, it's a, so I think the question of whether it's good or not, well, that's undebated. That's not in question. I wouldn't think anyone would question, was that a good and righteous and helpful thing to do? Yes, I'm sure we'd all agree. The question I would have is, why does it have to be king? Why do you have to give it the label kingdom in order to add anything else to it? What have you added by adding the word kingdom that isn't there by simply calling it a good and righteous act? Well, I guess kingdom brings content while good is still lacking any content. What content has kingdom brought that good and righteous have not brought? That you're doing the will of the king. But good and righteous, righteous will be doing the will of the king. Well, why can that not be kingdom at the same time? I'm just saying it doesn't have to be, and I but don't. What, what is it if it's I suppose not? What I would say is, in terms, of is that is that an example? Is where is that kind of good act given the label kingdom in the New Testament? Well, I wouldn't say you need to go to the New Testament to get that. I'm but with Mick in the sense that there are the two pillars. There's the, the there's the uh, the creation mandate in bringing order and uh, and doing good within that context, and then there's the evangelism, which is surely the second responsibility uh, of what we need to do. I'm just saying, let's use the word kingdom in the way the New Testament uses it. So if you want to use it in a different way, we're free to use words the way we want to. But the danger is, you've used it in a way the New Testament doesn't, and now you're, pre you're kind of pretending, well, that's now I've made it something. It, it, well, you've made it something that you've made it. No, we, we are, <laughs> we're, we're arguing that it is in... I think Luke and I... Sorry, Luke and I, and Tom Wright. No, Luke and I... <laughs> forgive me, Luke are arguing that it is implied in, in the New Testament use rather than every example. So if you're gonna, it, it, could be, it could be simplistic or reductionistic it, or mistaken, to quote Scott <laughs> to narrow it down just to those contexts. So when John Stackhouse then says, everything I do is kingdom from cutting the lawn to washing the dishes, why is that not? Why is that any less true, according to your definition? And because he, he pushes back and says, then if it, if it means if it means everything, then it means nothing. And I think I can see what you're saying because you've you've included almost everything in kingdom. So I smiled. That's yeah. kingdom. I mean, why not? But I, you just what I mean is you've you've increased it so broad and that. I just. Yes, I mean, and this is where the book is helpful in pressing this question. And I'm not sure quite how do you d define, draw the boundary. But if joyfully submitted to the king, I live my life before him, aren't, uh, am I not living in his kingdom and being a demonstration of his kingdom? Because I'm living according to the king. More questions. Yeah. Helpful. When we go to work, when we go out with our mates down the pub, what 
I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. More question? Matt? Thank you, wise one. <laughs> so, Jesse, if you in case you didn't hear Joseph, he was saying, uh, in trying to define this so tightly, are we missing, not missing the point? And partly that's because, it, is it not contextual? You could do the same activities, and in some contexts it's kingdom work, and in other contexts it isn't. So you can't actually go, here's the line, in, in terms of activity. Um, it's, it's, it's a more subtle thing than that. I certainly think that's true. I think the, uh, I, guess, I guess what we are trying to do is tease out what the word does mean and something when you do that, you have to say, I think it means this and therefore it doesn't mean that. So there is, so I, where the line is, I, I'm not exactly sure. I think my concern is that the word seems to be bandied about so loosely and so broadly that I think you, you rather than defining it more clearly, you you completely undefine it yeah. or yeah. ill-define and it. And, and, and like you said, uh, helpfully, we have rah-rah um, words. You know, everyone knows this is, this is now good. And it used to be missional. It's missional cooking or something, or missional this, missional that. That means doesn't mean necessarily anything but except you're supposed to like it a lot. And now there's a tendency that if you call it kingdom, you know, kingdom healing. You think, well, what sort of other healing is there? Is it, you know, you know, what what is that? Kingdom preaching. Well, what is that? Mm, you know, it's like it's even better than normal preaching that you get at your <laughs> church. The book entitled Yeah. The title, I don't understand why he said conspiracy. The subtitle is something like, what does it say? Returning to the, the radical mission of the local church. Um, the book is about kingdom. It is, that's the, it's all about kingdom. So it's certainly about that. Why he uses the word conspiracy, I, I can't explain. Yes, it sells books, I think. That's what it, it does. Yeah. I, I, we're going to finish soon, but we've got a couple of hands, and we're going to go here. We're all Greek scholars. Aren't we? um, <laughs> Some more than others. <laughs> the, 
I think the word, I think kingdom is a good English word for the Greek word, and I think many of the, um, many of the ideas that we would associate with, with, when you hear the word kingdom, or certainly in a perhaps a more historic culture where there were kingdoms, we were part of a kingdom, had a king um, who, who was the ruler, um, a monarch. So I, I, think, I think the word kingdom is a good word, and what people would have heard with the word kingdom would be what they would have heard with the word Vasilia in, in the Greek. So um, I, I think some of the things Toppy said yesterday, uh, no, was it yesterday or today? I forget. Yes. Um, about it's a real kingdom and these are the th attributes of the kingdom. Um, that's, those are the kind of things that they would have heard. Um, but it is used in, in slightly different ways by different authors in the New Testament. Yeah, I think so. So the idea of a rule and a realm in which there are citizens, which there are laws that are obeyed, and submission to the king, that would all be in their thinking. And because it was Israel, they would understand very well what that meant. Um, then the challenge I think McKnight throws out is, if Israel has not proved to be the kingdom, and Jesus came to reestablish it, where is that kingdom? Which is why he then locates it in the church. And he says, that is the king, that, that really today is the kingdom. And from that, we go out and do good, and we go on our mission to the world. That, that's the, yeah. what he's getting at, really. That's why he says what he says. Yeah. Uh, where are we going to go? We're going to go here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure who said, I'm not sure who, did any of us say? Yeah, I, I... Did you say, okay, being a kingdom teacher is different? I, I think we would, we would definitely say it's different. Could be, uh, yeah, we Okay, say. I mean, I think all of us... I mean, our discussion sounds, at night time, rather arcane, which often <laughs> the theological discussions do in the end. But it's like, what do you call, is it appropriate to call that kingdom work in terms of the way the New Testament uses the word? And we've got yeah. a bit of a debate going on up here. But uh, thanks for the, Kevin. I mean, I, I would just say, I would agree, and I think y you clearly do make a difference. I think, so the question I think we were asking was, why call it? Why call it kingdom and not simply call it Christian? I suppose, what's the difference between the two? And I think I would just say, although, yes, you talk about it now, I think, obviously, what we do now is impacted, not by necessarily simply what will happen in the future, but obviously, when, whenever there's a view, if I take a view of the future, if I've got a positive view of the future, then actually I am, I am working now to bring that about. And that's where your eschatology clearly impacts what you do. Because if I think, actually, the world's going downhill and I'm going to be taken out of it, I'm not bothered, that will impact what you do now. But if you have a positive view of the future and the church's engagement, that will. So, so that's where the now is clearly impacted by your eschatology. Do you see what I mean? Now, the two hands, and then we're going to stop. And I'm afraid I'm, we're going to go there and there. Let's go here first. 
question. I'll, I'll go and then you can have your answers. Well, no, no, yeah, I will. I, I think I, I, I would be surprised if a church didn't I'd do as much as they can that was appropriate for that context. So if it was imposing, if it's like in any way, so if in your cultural context, how sensitive, but not to acknowledge you know, your, your church and hear some things and give people an opportunity to take a next step would be, I would, I would if, if a church did that and they asked me, I said, well, what is it that constrains you? Because we're compelled by the love of Christ to tell people about him. And that's why we do this. We care for you because God cares for you. But I mean, I, I know in, when I was in London that we did it through the social services, so we could do very little, but they did know it was from us. Um, and that was, I think that's about all we could do. And we felt in that, constrained in that context. That was okay, but we prayed like mad. But they did know it was from the King's Church. Yeah, I, I would think put, the, put a gospel in. So not just an invitation to church. Why not give them the best news of all, along with the blessing of the hamper? I'd, I think it depends on how much contact you have with those people. So I'd, do, you have to have, does, do you have to have a flyer in every hamper every time you do something? No, you don't. If you have lots of ongoing contact with those people, then, yeah. then you may not need a flyer. I, think, I, think, I guess the point of what we're saying is if you only ever do good and never speak, never, if you never communicate any information then I think something is, is lacking. That, how is it kingdom if you haven't... They, if, if it was given anonymously and, and there was no sense of connection with church and, then, and there never was any connection, then I think in the end, you've done something good, but I don't know how that can be kingdom because you haven't connected into the king. Whether each time you give a hamper it has to have a flyer, I, I don't know. But if, but if you have no connection with that person, then I think, well, you've you missed an opportunity if you don't. So I think for me, I would, I would put a flyer in. But the bottom line is, at some point, if, you're, if your good deeds don't connect the person to the king somehow, some communica communication, some information, then not only have you missed, them missed an opportunity, I'm not sure you can call it kingdom. Right, and this is the last one. Seven on the mountain. They have to know it's. They have to know that there is a Father in heaven, and they have to know that. So I, that's why I would say at some point, there has to be some content. That's where I would. Yeah, because um, I served in a church in a Muslim context. They gave out lots of lots of hampers all the time, but it never led them to glorify the Father in heaven. So there has to be some way of identifying the good works as from God, not from just a humanistic yeah. and just to end with this it, you, it's very easy to do something like this um, and come down with some rules and then you go they said this 
Um, and that's, there's, some print, there's some principles, but the Spirit can override, and you can do something prophetically which doesn't make any sense at all. And you just give someone something, and you feel constrained not to say anything, but that's the, the very thing that needed to happen in the moment. So there are moments, and we, we need to do the theology, and we need to be open to the, the moment of the Spirit as well. Um, and uh, the importance of clear thinking and, and wrestling with stuff is, is not short-term. You don't get the payoff short-term. It's long-term um, that you need to be thinking, at least some people in church need to be thinking very deeply about theological questions because the history of the church is if you just do the immediate, you end up in bad places. And so for some of these things, like really arcane and like remote, um, well, that could just be us. But don't let it put you off thinking hard theologically because that's a critical work. And I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm going to close. Shall we just pray? I'm going to pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you that in sending your son, you announced that you were coming to reign and to restore people and that you would bring the day when everything reflects your glory because he would return as conquering king and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us your spirit to be your people, to live under your rule, to joyfully demonstrate what it's like to live knowing the true king of the universe. And Lord, all the stuff we talked about, whatever we call... Um, good works, we pray you would inspire us to do many good works and people will see our good works and praise you. And Lord, we thank you for, first of all, that you rescued us when we didn't deserve it. And we pray through us, you might rescue people from lostness, both now, the lostness of now and the lostness forever because we serve you, Lord Jesus, King of the universe. Amen. Amen. Go and have some tea.